We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. Now, on to my guest for today, Dom Einhorn. CEO and founder of Unicorn, a business incubator located in a small French village. Dom grew up in France on the border of Germany, where he learned early the necessity of hard work and taking the hard knocks needed to be resilient as an entrepreneur. From the time he started selling calendars, outselling any other kid around, he was hooked. Dom founded Unicorn when he and his wife moved back to France from L.A., Settling in France and looking for a way to be of service, Unicorn helps tech entrepreneurs grow their businesses. He's also the mastermind behind Startup Super Cup, a tech conference that will be bringing together thousands of potential investors, hundreds of startups and media in October of this year. Having been an entrepreneur since the tech boom of the 90s, Dom has seen a lot and advises that entrepreneurship isn't for the faint of heart. Entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. If you're not able to answer the question, do I have what it takes? Dom says, it's probably because you don't. Wow. Hmm. This is going to be interesting, huh? Now, let's get better together. Dom Einhorn, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jari. Pleasure being here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you because you are one of those unique, and I'm not just, this is a total cliche, unicorn type people <laughs> that uh, actually run an accelerator and an incubator called Unicorn. And we were talking the other day, or not the other day, but just before we started recording, that your last name in German means unicorn. So it is predestined <laughs> that you're going to be the awesome guest that I know you're going to be. So uh Really well, thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate you you coming on. And uh, we were, again, talking a little bit beforehand, and we both kind of came up in the startup scene and in our careers. You know, we went through the 1999-2000 downturn, the 2008 downturn, and now clearly we're in the COVID strange days, as I like to say. Um, and we'll go over, you know, your company or your accelerator slash incubator unicorn and also the startup super cup. Uh, but before we get into that, like I always like to say, why don't you uh, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today? Well, I think one key word is probably frustration, which is something we all experience as entrepreneurs. So growing up in France, in a small village of 400 souls in northeast of France, right along the German border, you kind of like expect to see a lot of things you don't necessarily get them after a while you wonder what if i create them or what if i actually try to do something about them instead of complaining about them 
and you roll up your sleeve and you actually do it. So I think from my very early days growing up in a Catholic family, I remember these uh, strange fundraisers where, you know, you'd always have to like scramble for, for dollars here and there to make this and that happen. And, uh, you know, going through recycling runs, recycling newspapers, recycling magazines, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you, you know, I remember my first commission-based sales job was selling an annual Catholic calendar. Uh, and it was a novel concept because until then I had done everything for quote unquote free. I didn't know you could actually get paid for actually doing work. And all of a sudden I was given this opportunity of earning one, one French franc, roughly 20 cents at that point in time for every calendar that I would sell. And I outsold everybody uh, literally overnight. It was like, wow, this is amazing, right? <laughs> I can actually earn a franc for every calendar that I sell. Wow. I think I sold 300 in a day. I just wow. wouldn't take no for an answer. Wow, <laughs> wow. Well, that's, you know, it's interesting because I used to deliver newspapers when I was like 10 or 11. And, you know, I just remember that feeling of someone actually paying you <laughs> for doing a job. I mean, newspapers, we had, you know, a route and everything, but... I just remember my first tip. Someone gave me a tip like, oh, you did a great job. Here's a tip. I think it was, I don't know, 50 cents or something. I was just like blown away. I'm like, wow. Yeah, amazing. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Prior to that, I grew up, obviously, three brothers, you know, dad screaming outside, boys, get your butts down here. Uh, roll up your sleeves. We're going to be cutting wood right now for the next no. three hours. Right? <laughs> Boy, you, you, you literally had the same childhood I had because there was there was three of us. Right. My dad was from Parsons, Kansas, which is this Midwestern town. And every morning, and I can remember this like it was yesterday, every morning on the weekend, he'd wake us up. And the way he'd wake us up is he would saw wood outside of our bedroom door. <laughs> well, like, time to work, guys. And we did exactly ditches right. and all that stuff. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Then next day was the potatoes, right? Potato run. Yeah. Or what I mean, yeah, we would do that's just crazy, but anyway, which actually reminds me when I was when I went through the French military, a little stint in the French military as well. And the drill sergeant comes in and goes, Who speaks German in there? I'm half German, of course. I lift my hand. He goes, Ah, Einhorn, all right, go cut the potatoes in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so I got quite a few potato stories, yes, they never, yes, they yes. never worked out the way they were the way intended to work out, exactly. Oh, I love that. Oh man, that's such a dig, too. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna like, yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, I mean, we had what's interesting is because you know, as a kid, you're like, God, really, dad, do we got to work on a Saturday at like eight in the morning, you know? And but you know, as life goes on, I'm sure, uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, um, those sort of skills and the sort of dedication to a work ethic, I don't know. I don't think kids can do that nowadays. <laughs> Maybe they would Look, like, think I mean, they were I, abusing them or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably the most politically incorrect person you'll find in the south, southwestern part of France, and I think a lot of people would agree with that. And uh, I, I'm getting the arrows and the praises for, for being, for speaking like that. I couldn't agree more. Uh, so it's something, you know, obviously inside Unicorn, we're roughly 55, 60 people right now. Average age is 27. So I'm skewing on the older, on the older side, clearly. Mm -hmm. But those are the discussions that we have every single day. Uh, and we have a lot of young people that have never experienced much, if any, pain in their life. Mm. Right. And then I have also, because I took control over the local rugby team, roughly 14, 15 months ago, semi-professional rugby team, I have about a dozen rugby players that mm. uh, play internally. And those guys know what pain feels like. They experience it every single day to yeah. the point where I have one rugby player in particular that, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of his because if I don't hit him over the head once a day, he thinks there's something wrong with me. I don't love him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he, he, he needs to feel he needs to feel some physical contact come on Dom at least at least punch me in the chest or something and, and he, ser he seriously thinks there's something wrong with me if I don't do that right well yeah like I'm, no no I get, I'm, it. I'm, I get it I'm ignoring him or something something is wrong Dom is mad at me etc because he hasn't felt that physical contact you know like a hard slap over the back or something right so it's really really odd uh, at the same time, look, we're in the tech business, obviously, and we have more women than men. Nobody had tell, to tell us how to do it. I had a discussion on a podcast a couple of weeks ago 
where a woman that I won't name tried to tell me what it is that I was supposed to be doing in, in terms of respecting what she deems to be diversity and the perfect mm. makeup. She had the percentages for everything, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, mm. that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Right. Agreed. Because if you're really doing it, if you're really building an organization organically, number one, you'll quickly find out that no matter how many smart people you have internally, there's always somebody smarter on the outside. Yep. And that if you're putting yourself in a box like the one you're describing to me, how am I supposed to think outside the box? So I told her, look, we haven't done anything of what you just recommended me to do. If you have if actually if you had dictated it onto me by natural reflex, I'm a human being, it's like there's no way. I don't want to be told what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. And I just went with the flow. And today we have more women than men. And we're a tech company. And by the way, I'm on your website, nice lady. And I see five women out of a staff of 40. What's what's wrong with you? Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I have a similar sort of ethos on that. I mean, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And everyone thinks, oh, you know, you guys are just a bunch of knuckle dragger, you know, meatheads. Um, and I have found that that's absolutely not the case. It's this ethic of pushing ourselves so that we can learn and feel what it feels like to get choked out. Like if you've never been choked out or smashed, like I'm sure with rugby, if you've never been hit, you could say everything you want. But until you get hit or get choked or you're about to get an arm bar, that's when shit gets real <laughs> yeah and, i mean so i i got a hundred percent agree so 100 percent aligned I, I started kickboxing when i was five years old yeah as, yeah as a result of being abused by my middle brother my older brother mm-hmm. right so one day my dad says hey there's a kickboxing school that opened up down the street do you want to go i'm like sign me up dad yeah and i remember my first session in there they were all older than me i was i was five and a half and they were 10 to 12 year olds and all of a sudden the coach goes hey young einhorn Come on up here. Slapped some gloves on me, and I got the shit beat out of me for the next two minutes, and I was mm-hmm. bloody. Yeah. So I went in a corner. I cried. I was sitting there for three hours waiting for all of these sessions to unwind. Mm-hmm. And the coach had to take me back home. And Henny came to me, and he goes, how did you like your first session? And I was just bawling at that point in time. And he goes, you know what? It'll never get any worse than tonight. Yeah. True. And tomorrow we're going to start teaching you defense so you don't get hit over the head like you did. Yeah. I mean, 46 years later, I remember this like it happened yesterday, right? But I think 100% to your point is that unless you know what that pain feels like, you have no reference point whatsoever. And you see it, you know, I mean, when I started competing at that time, I could see kids, seven, eight, nine, 10 years old that had never felt it. And you see that, mm, that right? Flinch, that yeah. little aversion of actually taking the hit, not really yeah. knowing, is it really going to hurt? Is it not? And it really, really messes messes you up, right? I knew what it felt like. I wasn't afraid of it anymore. I was ready to take it if it came, but I was also ready to defend myself from actually feeling that pain. But, yeah. uh, you know, entrepreneurs today, uh, that's that's my take on it. And I have a feeling you're going to tend to agree. Oh, yeah. No, I do. <laughs> well, I do. And I, no, I do. I mean, because... You know, I'm a, I'm like a student of both philosophy and, you know, like the warrior ethos and the warrior ethic, as well as like, you know, I, I like, I like to think and, and, and see people and like read people that are, would be traditionally like warrior poets, right? Like very intellectual, but then also have this martial ca- capacity. Like John Donaher is like the one that is, that comes to mind. I'm literally just reading, listening to a podcast with him. He is like, probably one of the best jujitsu teachers, grappling teachers, coaches on the planet. I mean, guy is just phenomenal. Everyone he trains just is amazing at jujitsu. And his philosophy of training is that, look, don't worry about how beat up you get in training. You want to put yourself in positions in training that are almost unsolvable. Like you want to know to your point, like, what does it feel like to get hit? to get choked out, to be in such a bad position that you may not get out of it. Because then in real life, when you're in that position, you've seen it before. You're calm and you just execute the plan. Like, cause we never rise to the occasion. We always fall to our training hundred percent of the time. 
And I think with entrepreneurs, especially the next generation, part of the reason I do this show is to try to educate and inspire the next generation of entrepreneur to be like, you know what? It's okay to, to fail. It's okay to have, you need to practice this as an art. It's some science, but it's an art. It's a philosophy. It's a lifestyle. And if you've getting hit in the head and you're not used to getting hit in the head or beat up or getting said no to 50 times or a hundred times, or your company failing or having to fire someone or having someone tell you, you don't know what you're doing. You're not going to be able to react properly. Um, uh, yeah. To your point, hundred percent, you know, so I have my own rule that uh, I came up with in 1994, 1995, when I initially moved from France to the U S now I'm back in France. I was supposed to leave to, for two weeks. I came back 25 years later, but <laughs> It was interesting because at first when I moved to the US, I was actually selling websites that we would then build to businesses at a time where most businesses didn't know what a website was. A vast majority of them thought it was the internet was a fad. In mm -hmm. fact, it was called the information superhighway at that point yep, in time. I remember that. Remember? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, especially prior to Netscape 1.0, right? Prior mm -hmm. to the first web browser. And mm -hmm. it took us, took me personally 36 real contacts to make a sale. Mm -hmm. Hence my rule of 36 over one. So mm -hmm. I had to fail 35 times to get one mini success. Mm -hmm. And five, six years later, I sold that company for, you know, large seven figures. Yeah. Right. So you think, how is that even possible? And I think that's where most wannabe entrepreneurs give up and throw in the towel way too early. I think what we've seen also, because we're old enough to remember those times is that when I started in the technology space, it was extremely expensive to launch a business. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. March 1998, because I came across one of my old files, my bandwidth bill was $8,000 for the month in March 1998. And mm -hmm. I used roughly a thousand times less bandwidth than I'm using today. Any given month. Today, <laughs> yeah. today it's free, right? It it's, comes it's, with your flat rate package, whatever. Free. Yeah, it's absolutely free. Yeah. 1999 to 2002, if you wanted to run an e-commerce website, you needed to have at least one Oracle server instance, mm -hmm. which cost back then $32,000 US. Yeah. You know, today MySQL is free. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, what I think what we've seen is we've seen this vast democratization, demonetization of the entrepreneurial, of the creation journey, right? Mm -hmm. And the tools that we need to use and to deploy in order to become an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. The downside of that is because it's become so cheap to launch a business. Many of us, I find myself, myself sometimes, you know, going through the same process, should I really be launching this venture, yes or no? We tend to launch vanity businesses that have no point of existing in the first place. And what I'm seeing on the receiving end inside of Unicorn, because we get pitched between 100 and 300 times a day on LinkedIn alone, yeah. are entrepreneurs that tend to create the problem they ultimately intend to resolve. Hmm. And I see this more and more. I'm like, yeah. okay, what's the pain point that you're alleviating with what it is you're creating? Yeah. Well, I've never even heard of that pain point. I didn't even know it existed, right? It's almost like the pharmaceutical company that's making up a disease so that it can actually sell you the remedy to it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, Playing guys, both you know, sides, right? Yeah. Yeah. Aren't, yeah. aren't there enough problems in this world still that yeah. are worth resolving, mm -hmm. right? Rather than trying to go out on the limb to the extreme and, and create a new one. And I think that's the danger of, you know, the barriers of entry just like falling down to zero, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, like, yeah, no code and like, even, yeah, you just got to be a technical person that can throw up a website, even then get on some Shopify site yeah. and, you know, arbitrage, you know, cheap manufactured goods from China. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting and interesting in that way because, you know, there's more ideas, but I think you're, to your point, yeah, there's no, unlike when we were kids as an example, and I, I say this cause we're probably about the same age. There's no rite of passage. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I think that's what's lacking both, both in society as entrepreneurs, like what's your rite of passage to, get to the point where you can participate. But then also, you know, again, I, I was the oldest brother of the three of us. So I was doing the picking on and uh, it was, uh, I was quite the youngest. Yeah. So <laughs> it was quite, quite and, interesting. And, and for some reason I still am today. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't feel that way sometimes, but yeah. Um, but it's interesting because I think this rite of passage, just concept is a very powerful one that we tend to minimize. And we, I don't know why we minimize it now because there's always some benefit for young people, especially young people. But I mean, even old people, there's like rites of passage when you get older to kind of have skills and an appreciation and a respect for what has come before them. I mean, the, the kind of the best example of this, well, I mean, there's a book called the Hagakuri, which is about the, the way of the samurai and it's pretty dated, but generally has some pretty good philosophy. There's, you know, Sun Tzu war of art. There's even Stephen Pressfield's, uh, um, the, the war of art, I'm sorry. And then Sun Tzu is the art of war. And, and these, these things are like important, I think. And, and I think they're important because as entrepreneurs and as the, you know, the old, the elder statesmen of entrepreneurship, so to speak, um, we do need to kind of teach the next generation about like, well, this is what it's like. I mean, this is a hard job. This isn't easy. And so in unicorn is you're, you know, you've got a, I mean, do you have programs around how, I mean, yeah. So Seems like it's a good question. I, I, we don't have programs yet. There's a lot of obviously tutoring that comes into place. There's a lot of, I almost call it counseling because uh, yes, you still obviously have a, especially in France and Europe overall, uh, overwhelmingly the entrepreneurs in our space and technology space are fresh young graduates from engineering uh, schools, mostly in the tech space that come in and they're just rookies, sometimes rookies in life, right? They've never felt the pain. Some of them have everything handed to them on a platter. But then we also have the outliers that just went through hell. The hustlers uh, had a kid from Russia, contacted me six weeks ago on LinkedIn. It goes, I've been following you now for months and I have the remedy to your friction points, your pain. I'm like, okay. What are you talking about, right? Yes, just probing him a little bit and give me a couple of salient points. I'm like, wow, it's interesting. Do you have, can you send me a quick email? Just make it two or three paragraphs and tell me how you think you can help. He goes, I'll do one better. And then I hear nothing. Okay, I said, another looky-loo. Two days later, he's on my front doorstep here in France. I'm like, wow, right? <laughs> People call me down. You have a kid down here who wants to talk to you. I'm like, who is it? I don't know, you know? I have a meeting coming up, you know, I have no idea who it is. No, 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 he's coming from Russia. I'm like, is that possibly the same dude? And sure enough, <laughs> and sure enough it is. So I ask him, well, where are you staying? Because it's getting pretty busy, right? And then we're in a small town that gets booked up. I figured at least I can get him a place to stay overnight. He said, no, don't worry about it. I live here now. I'm like, what do you mean I live here now? He said, yeah, I just rented a house, literally five kilometers out of, out of town. And uh, when can I see you? When can we get together so we can get to work on uh, on your friction points? Of like this twenty four year old kid is, is 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 tutoring me now and telling me what to wow. do. But yeah, so they do exist, right? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, they're definitely when I got outliers. to talk to him, you know, and I got to talk to him after 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 the fact, you know, he went through hell as a kid, right? He had to overcome literally every obstacle himself. From a very young age, you know, problems at home, being left on his own, blah, blah, blah. So the to total problem solver. But by and large, that's not the lay of the land. That's not what we see every single day, right? So, yes, I mean, it's, I think it's one of the reasons why what we incubate is usually slightly post-proof of concept. Mm -hmm. Because you have so many, in France, you call them porteurs de projet, project carriers. Hmm. which in by itself, I think is pretty indicative of the shortcoming of the entire idea itself, right? Hmm. Because what we find a lot, we all have great ideas, 50 hmm. a day, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we tend to minimize, especially on the French side, the importance of the execution, yeah. right? Execution as we, matters. It's as I, we say in, yeah. uh, in German, you know, pro, you know, an idea, 
ideas are like a-holes you know everybody's got one <laughs> i always say ideas are worthless without execution that's my yeah yeah so i mean so. germany is a more direct language right? yeah well they're german like i would expect that you know <laughs> so yeah we we do we do get quite a bit of that so usually now fortunately about 45 minutes from us a early stage incubator uh, opened its doors we when these kids come to us we just send them straight over there Two mm -hmm. days later, we get a nice thank you letter from the other incubator for sending them over. But that's not our model. So yeah. because we want to quickly go from incubation to acceleration. So mm -hmm. when you come to us, we want to see at least a light proof of concept, whether you're B2C or B2B play. Mm -hmm. And if you're in the fundraising mode, show me, prove to me that at least your grandmother trusted you enough to, to write you a check, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't want to be the... I, I, I want to say that because I'm very often the first money in, Yeah. but I want to see that you were at least able to convince your inner circle of influence to trust you yeah. to at least do something, even if it's pay for a logo, right? Yeah. Show anything, me something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise you're just coming out and you know, you, you're begging, right? Yeah. And like, can you do everything for me? Which we do see quite a bit as well. Well, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Well, you know, yes, I can, but ultimately what business do you intend to run, right? If, I, if we do everything for you, right? So, yes, we're looking for, obviously, personality first, mm -hmm. the, the driven individual, no matter where they're coming from. Uh, we have people from 27 different countries. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, because it's interesting because France is very, very open when it comes to educational <laughs> curriculum. Uh, so you see big engineering schools that have a lot of, uh, kids coming from India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, U.S., Canada, et cetera, from all over the place. And uh, that was surprising to me coming back after expatriating myself for 25 years to see that there's been a fundamental shift uh, in entrepreneurship. Because when I left in, in 1993, 1994, if you were an entrepreneur, you were almost considered like a thief. Yeah. And today, yeah. that still exists, but with the very, very older generation. But any anyone younger than seventy five or eighty, you know, you're it's more like the rock star state status where you <laughs> you know you, you know they've heard of Elon Musk, which they pronounce like you wouldn't believe over here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. you know, so for example, Google in France is Google, Twitter <laughs> is Twitter. Uh, <laughs> let me think. What else? Instagram is Instagram. Oh uh, yeah. Well, there you uh, what go. Am, what am I missing? Yeah. Like this name <laughs> Tesla was Tesla Tesla or uh, Tesla, but Elon Musk. Elon, Elon Musk. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got it. Right. So it's interesting. In. You get a chuckle when you turn on TV and you watch oh, the yeah. tech shows. Well, but but like I mean, the root of entrepreneurs from the French. I mean, that's where it came from, the word yeah. and the meaning. I, I, like, I like what George Bush said back in the days. Remember that one, that line, the famous line? No, I don't. What was it? Yeah, that, yeah, that, uh, the, the French don't know what entrepreneurship is. Something like <laughs> yeah, they invented it. Yeah. They don't, the they don't need, uh, no, no, he, he went, it was worse. They don't even have a word for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed on that, but what it was a great artist though these days. Uh, yeah, no, actually, uh, you know, to his credit, I was on a Commonwealth club. He did a, um, like a talk on his book, a virtual one. And I got his book out of many one, which is E pluris unum, you know, the yeah. seal and it's, yeah, he's, he's not bad. I mean, I, legit. I mean, say what you want about him as politics and everything, but like, he really like, I think he's trying to either uh, redeem himself or he's trying to. I think, uh, I, I just think continuing education, It's he's proved that it works. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. I think he, he acquired a lot of the skills post-retirement. Yeah. And he, 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 he is, some of his stuff is really nice. And yeah, it's interesting. Like the, you know, the entrepreneur, the, the original meeting was like undertaker. <laughs> like, so yeah. It's like a funeral guy, right? You're like, That's what? That's right. That's right. Or, you know, the business, one that entertains business or, you know, goes after it, but. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, you know, that th there is always a kind of a 
rivalry between the U.S. and France and U.S. and Europe just in general because we're, you know, we're a bunch of Yahoo American Wild West cowboys. <laughs> Which is good as well. It sort of oh, attracted yeah. me in the first place, right? I think, yeah. I think, I think you need a good, a good, a good middle ground, I think is what you really need. Mm. And that's, that's me, some kind of like extremist entrepreneur who says that, right? So, because I'm certainly not representative of that middle ground, you know, I work 18 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, but I think that overall, you know, you need people like us, uh, you need people, you, we need all, more, I mean, going back to entrepreneurship, I personally am convinced that roughly 5%, one out of 20 have what it takes, have the entrepreneurial DNA. And so for those of you who are just listening to us right now, don't fool yourself. If you're asking your question, do I have what it takes? You don't have it. Because if you're a, a true blue entrepreneur, you don't ask yourself those kind of questions. There is absolutely nothing wrong about it. That's the other important thing to understand. We need great employees. We need great teachers. We need great martial artists. We need great painters, artists, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, so don't try to be someone you're not because unless you're willing to stumble, to fail, to hurt yourself and constantly get back up at the risk of losing everything, including all your money and all your friendships, don't get into this. It's just not worth it, right? Yeah. So, you know, I've done it multiple times. I've lost everything multiple times, got back up, and then wised up a little bit and said, you know, maybe, you know, I, I mean, we are before the show, we're talking about 2000, 2001. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got my ASS handed to me like wouldn't believe in 2001. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, had a successful exit a year before that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today. Right, that's just the way it is. And then you just learn along the way. You iterate. You know, if you don't learn from your mistake, you're going to be gone, no matter what it is that you, that, you, that you're that you're doing. Right. The beauty today is that in in our space, we can measure everything. In the '90s, we didn't have that luxury. Right. True, true today, enough. you can run. Let's say you're a digital media entrepreneur, or you're in the e-commerce space. You can do a A to Z testing, frontwards and backwards live you have all the tools SaaS model tools that allow you to measure all of your conversion metrics your customer acquisition cost etc cetera, etc cetera. you can dial up a campaign that works very well instantly you can dial down one that's a dud and you're just going to limit your packet loss very 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 quickly uh, without even even affecting you but back then you know we got, went under the old adage that you know we were advertising and half of our budget was wasted. We just didn't remember which half. I think it was a Jilby <laughs> yeah. said that. Yeah, that, or that other one. Yeah. Well, you know, users only use 20% of the features. Uh, we just don't know which 20% they actually use. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so true. No, it's so true. And I'm glad you brought up the whole kind of what what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I mean, you see a lot. Like you said, you get pitched a couple of hundred times a day on, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs that want to be part of your unicorn, you know, world, part of your accelerator, part of your incubator or whatever. Um, yeah, it's not for everyone. And that's you okay. You got to cut your teeth, you know, and it's, it's funny too, on the pitch side, because a lot of you that may be listening may be thinking like, how should I pitch? Right. Well, I cannot necessarily tell you how you should be pitching, but for sure I can tell you how you should not be pitching. So don't send me an attachment with no message when you're sending me something, there's one. Another one, don't call me, hi, John, when my name is Dom, bad cut and paste. I just did it three times earlier today, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how many times. Instantly, you know, and then you're trying, what makes it worse is that the guy or the girl send it to you just tries to make up a story as to, no, 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 I really meant this. You know, I was talking to a John before you and it was mixed up, you know, get out of here. You know what I mean? Next. So, you know, Try to find a hook, at least show me enough respect that you've actually done a you know a little bit of random research about what I'm working on, what I'm interested in, and use that in your first line or two, right? I think the ability to craft hooks has kind of like gone by the wayside. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we all know what the elevator pitch is, but I have news for you. Before you get into the elevator, you got to work your way in, right? That's the hook. Mm-hmm. What's even more so important today than ever before because we're just scrolling through social media feeds. You know, like our attention span is completely gone. 
as a result, unlike you, unless you're listening to this podcast at minute 38. <laughs> uh, right? But for the majority of us, we're just scrolling, 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 so many interruptions. So you really have to quickly figure out a way on how to get my attention or anybody's attention you want to engage with and get the permission to get into the elevator, pitch them for three, five more seconds to slowly start building a relationship. So you're basically parlaying yourself from this little hook into the elevator pitch into something a little bit longer, longer, longer until you actually have earned the right to cultivate that relationship. So if you're looking to raise money, if you're looking to connect with the right type of investor that fits what it is that you do, first of all, look for like-minded people. Don't shotgun the approach, right? Don't Mm -hmm. spam. It just Mm -hmm. doesn't work. We know that. You're just pissing people off and ultimately going to piss yourself off because it just doesn't work. Right. So, you know, go for go for quality versus quantity. Do some do your research. And again, in the first two lines, show that you know about me and that you've actually respected me. And when you do that, I'm going to give you the same amount of respect or more in return. And that, yeah. that, that's how we build relationships. I, I totally I 100% with you on that. I get pitched a lot and I pitch a lot because that's my job, right? As a PR marketing yeah. and strategic communications person. So the art of the pitch and the hook, as you mentioned, yes, very much a lost art. I, I always say, I always tell people, um, and I've, I say this all the time. I go, if if you get my name wrong, I have a unique name too. Like it's hard to spell. I get, I granted, but yeah. if you don't use my first name, I'm just I literally hit delete. Just done. I'm not. I, I'm. If you didn't get to the point where you know what my name is, then we're done. Like the rest of it doesn't really matter. Um, and to your point, as long as they don't call you Zoolander, (laughs) my buddies call me Zoolander. So they they, they love to give me a hard time. Like, that's like, Oh, you're just like, you know, blue steel, like, ah, stop it. Right. Um, but, but yeah, but the hook is a very important thing. And, um, one of the things that I always like to have to tell people, or at least train them how to do is you never want to like give away everything or just inundate someone with, with data to your point about permission. So your hook should be the one to two sentences that in the person's mind, you want them to say, tell me more, because that's the permission to then move on. And if you can, if you have this art, if you can, you, and you can practice this, it's, it's totally teachable. It's totally learnable. Like you said, you'll get better interactions and the respect will be a lot higher because everyone loves to see when someone knows what they did, respects their opinion and gives them a little bit of kudos, right? Like there's not a human on the planet that doesn't love that. And when you get good at it, then you get results. And it's this back and forth that I think you're so right on on. And the, you know, I'm, I'm working on this sort of story driven approach to like launching products and um, startups and trying to get everyone's story straight. And yeah, the, the big idea, what you're trying to do, your elevator pitch before that has to be, do I even have your permission to say my next sentence? That's right. And I think, you know, if you're like me, which a lot of people are getting 100 pitches, 200 pitches a day, rule number one, be different. Don't be like all the other guys, right? Like we used to say in the old days, uh, dog bites man is not news, man bites dog is news. So so try to be the man that bites the dog and and stand out from the crowd. Because if you don't do that, you're not going to be heard because everybody's overwhelmed with messages from all over the place. Yeah. So I think that's definitely a lot. I don't want to call it a lost art. I'm not sure if really it's ever been mastered before. Some people definitely have, right? Some people hire professionals like yourself in order, in order to get the job done, which is not to be underestimated at all, because right. if you can't do it, it's just like part of building a team, right? right, right so right. what we see, for example, a lot in our space are teams of two, three engineers that graduated top engineering school together. They come up with a great product or service idea, or at least they think it is a great product or service idea, but they're so one-sided, right? They, they've never sold a thing in their life. Mm-hmm. And I got news for you, nothing happens until a sale happens, right? Yeah, that's the hardest part. I try part. to hammer that into my team every single day, right? Hardest part, hardest part. <clears throat> because they're all product first, product. Wait, 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 hold on, guys. Hold on, guys. Who have you sold this to or who is your intended target? Have you ever made an attempt to actually sell this to? So we actually came up with a rule internally 
for our own ventures that we incubate, that we accelerate, that we basically go through an exercise where instead of building a product or service, that's probably a, an important tidbit that would, you know, some of your listeners who intend to build a product or service to really think about, is that before you actually go out there, raise money for it, and you actually deploy efforts, resources, finance to, to build it, pitch it first. If you have an existing clientele, go to those clients and say, look, my understanding is that you have these problems, these friction points. Mm -hmm. I'm working on something that intends to alleviate those friction points. If and when I succeed, would you be willing to pay for it? I don't have a pricing structure yet, et cetera, et cetera. More importantly, would you be willing to invest a small token amount today on the presumption that I will be able to solve that problem for you? Yeah. If people don't do that, you don't have product market fit. Yeah, agreed. Right? Because you may, you may, and we see this all the time. You know, you come out, you have a great engineer, again, engineering school, one of the top rated ones, whether it's the US or in France, and now you just think you're the best thing since sliced bread. And I got news for you, you're not. Right? In some extreme cases, you may be. Prove it to me, and I believe you. But that is the litmus test, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and and it's, it's like, look, how many people do we know that actually before they build a website, right, do the proper research, keyword research, and then determine that based upon these keyword trends, based upon the competitivity between these keywords, this is the domain I want to deploy and then build content for. No, no, no. Everybody builds a website first, produces content, one that's there. How are we going to bring people to it now? It's completely ass backwards, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we do it exactly the opposite, right? Uh, we have we do deep keyword analysis, deep keyword research. We know how many times they're being searched for, in what languages, on what devices, from what countries, geos, et cetera, et cetera. And, and based upon those trends, we build it. And basically, the philosophy is instead of building it in the hopes that they will come, we know they're coming, hence we're building it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a lot it's, a lot more logical this way. Yeah, and it's a lot harder because it's more yeah, it's more it, difficult. It because of the ego involved with I've got a great idea, right? We um, all do. Yeah, we all do. times a day. Yeah, I get I I always tell people the same thing. Like, yeah, I've got great ideas every day. They're just all of them are probably crappy because no yeah. one's going to Now, depends on what you define success of an idea. If the idea is I want to sell lots of them, well then the criteria for good ideas is it sellable. If I'm an artist and I just want to create my art, I want to write a book, or I'm just super curious about something, that's different. Like, I get that. Like, you know, like, am I going to make a ton of money off this podcast? Probably not, but it's teaching me something that I find valuable. So the monetization is not the point, the practice of the art is. But when you're going to an accelerator and you want people to give you money, <laughs> it needs yeah. to be a... a a business that's going to make money and work for you and deploy their resources on your behalf, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. You got to have a little bit more teeth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, and it's not, it's, you know, it's, and I think people get a little bit frustrated with this, especially younger entrepreneurs, because they think it's a personal affront to their prowess, their skill, their abilities. Right. And it's actually not, it's actually really just a honest feedback of, this is not marketable. This is not a product anyone will buy. Doesn't mean it's not a quote unquote good idea if the idea is something different. But if you want to sell it, the best way to find out if something works, like in comedy, is if someone laughs, it's funny. That's it. <laughs> someone well, let's buys see, it. Because I, I got the perfect metaphor for that. Let's see if you think it's funny. Okay, cool, cool. So 1978, May 18th, I am eight years old. On comes the TV. Black and white, of course, back, mm -hmm. then. back then. And it was Pope John Paul II's birthday. And everybody's talking about today's the Pope's birthday, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, Mom, it, it's my birthday too. <laughs> Nobody's talking about it. She's trying, to explain, <laughs> she's trying to explain to me what's going on. We know the Pope is a big figure, et cetera, et cetera. He's more well-known than you are. But he's still a little bumped, right? And all of a sudden, out comes my dad, German mentality. He goes, son, I got news for you. Every idiot's got a birthday once a year. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That was a huge favor because yeah. 
Yeah. Oh my God, look at this beautiful little baby. And every little baby is the most beautiful one in the world, right? So if you're if you go through that mentality, right? You, you you're 18 years old and you still think you're the most beautiful baby. You're 18 times 12 months old. I'm surprised you're actually saying you're 18 and not 18 times 12. And you continue, you can count in months, right? Because we see that every single day. Mm. They've never failed. They cannot mm. do wrong. They're the most beautiful baby, even though they're 18 to 25 years old, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I learned that a long time ago in 1978 when dad told me, you know what, you just may be just another idiot. You know, it's your birthday, but you know, it's a hundred other idiots that have their birthdays today. Yeah. Also like you're unique, just like everyone else. Right. It's like, <laughs> of course. Right. I mean, and, and, you know, what's interesting is again, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that like the extremes of what we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Some people are going to be like, Oh, you guys are just a bunch of old curmudgeony 50 somethings that, you know, have this old mentality, this, you know, masculine, whatever, like, you know, part of the patriarchy, blah, 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 blah. Look, but, we, were, we were labeled, we were branded before we started talking, right? Yeah, that's true. That's a given. Yeah. And that's the proof. Yeah. I don't say that that's, I'm not saying we're right, Yeah, but that's the proof that they're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Because they, they didn't even wait for us to actually speak up. Exactly. So we're already put, we're already put in the box. So we're right. the out the box thinkers. They're not. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is, this is really critical. Because we're, we're actually, I feel, at a crossroads in the world and in society. And this is what I think every young entrepreneur needs to know, and even ones that want to get in the entrepreneur game. To your point about there's going to be a lot of struggle, a lot of challenge. You're going to need a lot of discipline and resilience and grit to get through it. No two ways about it. You will fail. You will fail in ways you've never thought you'd fail before. And you know what? It's not personal. You just have to like have the confidence to be like, okay, got to get back up, do it again. Just like rugby, just like jujitsu, just like combat sports. The beautiful thing about combat sports is you will lose at one point and you'll get your ass kicked and then you'll get your up up and your buddies will pat you on the back and say, good job. Let's keep training. And you keep training and you get used to it. And then you figure out a way to, you know, get better. And when you, when you, but when you don't have that, and something hits you in the face, like Marvin uh, Liao, who's a, was an is an investor, was an investor at 500 startups. He he was a great guy because he would always give us these really good advice. He's like, yeah, my advice is like getting hit in the head with a brick. It stings at first, but then you're like, hmm, I'm glad I know what it feels like to get hit in the head with a brick <laughs> because <laughs> I'm going to get hit in the head with a brick. I mean, he even said. The, the, the state of a startup, its basal state is failure. It's like, it's gonna fail. Like, just think about that. Like, you are gonna fail. Like, yeah. it's the dominant state. You're, you're look, crazy. I mean, look at Thomas Edison at light bulb. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when he was asked, you know, why, why he succeeded where so many others had failed, his answer was simple. I, ran, I finally ran out of things that didn't work. Yeah. I tried 10,000 times. I failed 10,000 times. I ran out of failures. And all of a sudden, off went the light bulb. Yeah. Right? That's exactly what we're talking about. I mean, not necessarily to that extreme. Fortunately, we don't have those kind of odds, Yeah. at least in most ventures, fortunately. Otherwise, no one would persist. I would be out of the game a long time yeah. ago because I probably, I probably wouldn't do it 10,000 times over. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I've done it 100 times over. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So people always think, you know, I mean, even here, you know, like, oh my God, you 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 succeed at everything that you do. Like, are you out of your mind? Come over here for like a, a week and spend a week with me in my office, yeah. right? So you get a little taste of reality. Yeah. Of course, the PR is then taken out with your successes, right? Of course, of course. Yeah. It's like my dad schnapps. If you if you saw when he brews a schnapps, how many times he he takes a little sip and discards it. And then ultimately, when they sit down with the buddies and whatnot, it's like, oh my God, Jean Pierre, your schnapps is freaking amazing. He's like, you have no idea how much <laughs> trial and error went into this damn thing, how many times you spit it out, threw out a whole batch. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, I, I love that analogy because it's so true. It's just, I don't know. Like, so, so what advice would you give the next generation of entrepreneurs coming up? I mean, we've, we've covered a lot of ground and it's all, of course, we've got our unique perspectives, which we're pretty much aligned on. But what, what, what would you give? What, what would be the advice for that next generation of entrepreneur coming up? Yeah, I, th I think I think one piece of advice I would give is that everybody, obviously, a lot of people, even though they say they're not in it for the money, they're ultimately in it for the money. 
So just be honest with yourself first and foremost, right? And say, look, don't be ashamed. Like if you're in for the money first, you're probably not a real entrepreneur. Yet, you know, let's make that clear. But there's nothing wrong with becoming successful and making money. Yeah. And so what I usually say, look, if you want to be a billionaire, nothing wrong with it, as long as you help a billion people. There is your shortcut if you're looking for one. Help a billion people and you will be a billionaire, a guarantee, no matter what it is that you're doing. So try to think big. Try to think of the moonshots, right? Big moonshots. <clears throat> if Because if you're launching yourself into this world of pain, make sure that ultimately it's going to be worth it. Make sure there is light at the end of the tunnel, right? There's a golden rainbow or whatever you want to call it. Uh, otherwise, if we're just playing in a little sandbox, what the heck are we doing, right? We're wasting our time. You're wasting my time. I'm wasting your time. Right, right. So what we usually look for is I, I look for impact. A lot of people, I think the, the term impact investing has kind of like lost its real core, its real value, because it's now become greenish, greenwashed and whatnot. Uh, not to say that obviously it's not important that we, you know, have this transition yeah. and whatnot, but you can have impact in a number of ways. So when I came back to France, uh, with my wife, we decided to go into a rural area because we didn't leave Los Angeles to go to Paris, right. And recreate that lifestyle. So we said, okay, we're going to take a step back. We spent six, eight months crisscrossing France. We looked at 54 different towns, uh, mid-sized to small, and we landed in Sala, S-A-R-L-A-T, medieval town, fell in love with it, was number one in our private little secret list. And then we realized, okay, we're here now, that way we do. Everything is missing here, right? And we said, okay, part of our impact is to now invest into the community and create what is missing, right? I think you probably had one uh, nationality in town before we came here, French. Right now, you got 27 just as you know, just inside of Unicorn, and people are like, "Who are these guys? Are Martians? What 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 what, what is going on here?" <laughs> and then we're also very active in the community. Obviously, in the southwest of France, rugby is a religion; it's way beyond the sport, right? So initially, I was looking for a CPA because in France, you're not allowed to run a business without an independent CPA. You cannot do your books in house. You know, it's a little old school when it comes to that. Uh, so I was looking for CPA, asked around, said, we should go see the rugby president. Okay. Who is he? Okay. Jean-Luc Monchon. Okay. Jean-Luc Monchon. I see Jean-Luc Monchon. I walk into his, into his office. There's rugby memorabilia everywhere. And clearly it's a rugby guy. He played for the French national team when he was younger. And he goes, you'll be one of my clients under one condition. You become a rugby sponsor. I'm like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> what, do you, what do you need? So it doesn't have to be anything big, but you have to be a rugby sponsor. Okay. 2018, I became officially a rugby sponsor for the first time. 2019, I became the largest sponsor of the team. So unicorn everywhere. Uh, 2020, early innings of COVID, he came to me with an amateur semi-professional team and said, we have a lot of problems. Would you, you know, can you contribute more? So, well, what you're asking me right now is no longer a friendly decision. It's a business decision. So let me think about it, come back to you. And I came back to him 40 hours later. I said, here are my 17 conditions. Uh, <laughs> if you check them all off, I'm in. And mm. he looked at them and he said, okay, uh, let's have a board meeting. Let's see what happens. Both voted 45 to none in favor of the project. And we are now 15, 16 months later with an amazing team ready to tackle the new season. But in the meantime, I know we don't have video, but we changed everything, right? New oh, wow. logos, new brand, new identity, uh, un unicorn to sponsor. Uh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but that's real impact, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we, yeah. we went from, uh, we created 70 jobs, uh, direct jobs with the rugby team from players to support staff, new general manager, new coaches. The rugby school has 15 educators, et cetera, et cetera. And we also hired inside of Unicorn a solid dozen rugby players, which I absolutely love for reasons that we've already covered. Yeah. Oh, ability, yeah. ability to take a hit, get back up. That's what they do 100 times per game, yeah. right? Boom. Oh, man, yeah. this hurt. Okay, I'm already back up, yeah. right? Without even thinking about it twice to the point where it's bizarre where, you know, yeah. some of the guys – they need a hit. Otherwise, they think they're not alive. They're not alive. <laughs> yeah, no, it's important, I think. that's Those are really great. I mean, 
I mean, just sport is such a great analogy and it's such a great place to learn these life skills that, you know, it's a microcosm of life in a controlled way where there's rules and you have camaraderie and, you know, like you're all trying to figure out how to do it together, which, yeah, I don't know if it's lost now. I mean, that's what drew me to jujitsu was just the, I was extremely nervous about violence, not a violent person, don't like conflict. And I'm kind of like, well, I think I'm needing need to learn how to control violence and, and you got to know what it feels like and you got to know what it feels like. Right. And you got to know sort of that. And cause I think anyone that is trained in the martial arts and knows violence knows how one, how awful it is to get into a fight and will avoid it at all costs, just full stop because they know like, this is not this. You're not LARPing. This is, you know, you're not, this isn't play pretend this is real. Right. right? And you know, I've always found that the people with the most skill in the martial arts, you know, there's of course exceptions, but boy, just don't like violence. Like, nope, yeah. I'm, I'm comfortable that you can call me whatever you want and you know, whatever. So maybe we just have to have that similar thing with entrepreneurship. They got to be comfortable with the failure. Definitely. Well, Dom, I appreciate it. We could go on for a long time, but we have to end now. So uh, thanks a lot. Stay safe and uh, yeah, good luck to everything at Unicorn. This was such a great, great conversation. Appreciate it. Everybody wants to see what we're doing. Startupsupercup.com, October 1, 2, 3. We'll have uh, roughly 100 startups in the technology space, 800 or so accredited investors, the financial and the startup media, all present in Salah, France. Again, that's S-A-R-L-A-T, beautiful medieval town, 10,000 souls in the winter, 3 million tourists in the summer. Wow, that's just crazy. So. All right. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks, Dom, for being on the show. I had a great time talking to you, and it was uh, a little, uh, I don't know, kind of brings me back to the good old days, so to speak, and uh, it was just wonderful for your insights. So, as promised, here are the actionable insights that I learned from Dom. First, get your inner circle on board. Demonstrate that you have something worthy of investing in by recruiting people around you to invest in first. This is normally called the friends and family round. And so, like, if you can't get those people to invest, uh, you probably don't have a very good idea. Make sure your idea provides solutions to an existing problem. Don't offer a solution, excuse me, in search of a problem. And I do this all the time. I've done this on three startups, so I know of what I say. Make sure there's a true problem to solve and literally like the top one, two, or three problems that people have. That's the most important ones to solve. Do your research before you ask for help. If you want to apply to work with someone, find out what they're interested in and what they're looking for. Have a hook to get their attention so you can stand out. You just don't want to be like, oh, look at me, look at me, right? Add value, get to know someone. That's really important. You want to have a a symbiotic relationship, not just, you know, do something for me, right? Pain is part of being an entrepreneur, so embrace it and don't let pain and discomfort distract you. It's the struggles of all that that leads to greatness, and I can't stress this enough. This job is a hard job. It's a vocation. It's a calling. It's going to be a lot of hard times. It's going to be a lot of fun times, but just got to get through the hard times so you can get to the good times and embrace the pain, as they say uh, in, the, in the military, embrace the suck. <laughs> so there you have it, actionable insights from my awesome interview with Dom. So thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. 
Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.